Psalm 46 is an amazing and glorious text. I wanted us to read the entire chapter a moment ago precisely because it is such a powerful psalm. And of course, one of the reasons why it is is because it gives us a true, clear, and sobering view of the world in which we all live. Notice again, if you would, these texts. Verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. In other words, volcanoes, that's a mountain that swells. Earthquakes, the earth is removed. Floods, the waters roar, it says, and be troubled. So that the word in verse 3, you'll notice, is the word shake, tremble, reminding us that the entire world is an unpredictable, changing, volatile place. The continents literally are sitting on a liquid ball of fire, and that very ball of fire is suspended out in space on nothing. Terra firma is really aqua tenuous. That is, it's not very firma. And yet, the psalmist here, instead of shaking, the Bible says he is singing. Notice the introduction to the psalm before verse 1. It says, to the chief musician for the sons of Korah, a song. And yes, it is a song. A song of strength and beauty in the, in the midst of troubled seas. And shaking lands, yes. So while most people on this planet see earth as their place of refuge and their treasure storage, their castle building, the place of all their hopes and all their dreams constantly shaken and threatened and endangered, the psalmist sees the greater reality. The true position of a child of God who's in this world. And he sings. He sings. And what he sings is the joyous birthright of every single believer in this room or watching where you are. So I hope you'll listen very carefully. I want to speak on the subject of song, of certainty. We need it today. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. And I pray, Father, in as much as we have come here as your people to hear from you. I pray that you'll help us to that end. Please, Lord, speak to our hearts in Jesus' precious name. Amen. There are three lessons I want us to consider this morning in light of the psalmist's song of great faith here. This song that is given in the midst of this ever-changing and threatening world. And the first lesson you'll notice, number one, is a lesson about peace. Again, verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present, immediate help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed, even though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea? Now, folks, I know that the sentence structure there is a little Yoda-like, therefore, will not we fear? I get that. <laughs> but actually, there's a reason for it. And the reason is that God's Word is putting an emphasis on the word will. So that in other words, for a child of God, it's a conscious decision not to be afraid. Not to fear, not to worry. Why? Primarily because as a believer, you don't have to. Do you realize that you can honestly 
and seriously look at the sea billows that roll and know that it's well with your soul. Some of you heard me tell many years ago, I was sitting in a seminary class and in Jacksonville, Florida, Dr. McCon was teaching. And he passed out a study from the University of Washington. There's a professor by the name of Thomas Hobbes and a bunch of other professors who co-wrote it. They published their research on human stress. And it was basically laid out like a chart. And it listed all of the common experiences of life we all have. But with the impact that these experiences have on our mental and emotional well-being. And with each one of these differing experiences, they had assigned a certain number of points. They called LCUs, life change units. For example, a surgery, if you had a surgery, it was 35 LCUs. A new baby, 40 LCUs. Remodeling a home is 25. Holidays are 13. You think they'd be negative, but they're 13 LCUs, at least in this country. Sickness is 10, death in the family was 65. Moving and or changing jobs was 50. A car accident was assigned 40 LCUs for a woman and 30 for a man. I don't know why. But their conclusion was this, that in life we are bombarded constantly with these so-called LCUs. And that, for example, if within a year's time, 12 months, you have a cumulative total of 300 LCUs, 300 life change units in 12 months, they said you're going to short circuit. That is too much. Like, you know, your mind. Nice cage, no bird, whatever they say. meaning a nervous breakdown, heart attack or whatever. In other words, humanly speaking, they said, the heart of man, man's spirit, cannot cope with that much change. Remember Jesus said, Jesus said, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. One day has enough everyday troubles that you don't need tomorrow's or yesterday's, Jesus said. Now, we said humanly speaking. Because I can tell you, as I sat there in that class, I took my pen out and I started calculating the LCUs that Job endured in a matter of days, much less a year. Death in the family? Check, 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 check. Seven sons, three daughters. Remodeling a home? Yep, fire and tornado remodeling. Car accident? For his camels, all of them. <laughs> Sickness times 10. How about satanic attack? It wasn't on their list, but there's got to be some LCUs for a direct satanic attack. And ultimately, as I counted, I ended up with about a thousand in less than a week. The Apostle Paul had 500 after one missionary journey. And yet, folks, they had something, right? They held on to something that eased their fears and calmed their souls. There was a peace like a river that attended their way. And you know, beloved, you have that. You are a part of the promise and the heritage. The peace that passes all understanding. The funds of that peace are in your divine account. It's just a matter of whether or not you draw on that account. Do you appropriate it? You know, most of you are aware that I'm not a big 
conspiracy theorist. Not in the classical sense, and I know that that annoys some of you. Because I don't believe in a lot of famous conspiracies, you feel sorry for me. You think it makes me naive and duped and out of the loop. And that's okay. Fat, dumb, and happy, I suppose. Amen? (laughs) But it is true. I lean towards the old adage, when you hear hoofbeats, look for horses, not zebras. Or these days, it's more like unicorns. You know, Occam's razor, the law of parsimony, it basically says, sort of says, that when two competing hypotheses come about the same event or same prediction, you always lean on the simplest, most obvious one. That's me. I agree with that. But it's not William of Occam that led me away from being a conspiracy theorist. I've never been one. And since I've been saved, it's really two things. For example, number one, I know that the reality that I see is usually as bad or worse than the so-called secret conspiracy I don't see. Pastor, did you know that the movie Frozen was really made to distract from the fact that Walt Disney was frozen, cryogenics, so that when people Google that, the algorithm now takes them to the movie instead of the frozen Walt? It's conspiracy. They're trying to hide it. Whatever. I don't know. But I know what's way worse than that theory. The fact that well-known, the Walt Disney Company didn't want to protect second graders in this state from perverting grooming schemes. The truth is really always worse than the so-called conspiracies. The truth about evil that we know is always worse than that theory. That's number one, why I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I just look at what I see. But the real reason I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist is that God has not given me the spirit of fear. Satan has. And whatever people say about the moon not being real, that it's a projection, there are people who believe that. Or Prince Charles, now King Charles, is a vampire because his forebears were very sensitive to sunlight, apparently. I'm not worried about what I don't know because I serve the one who does know. There are no secrets with God. And in the very, very slim chance that King Charles is going to bite me on the neck, (laughs) God still tells me not to fear. And what in the world is scarier than Prince Charles biting anyone on the neck? Amen. (laughs) The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Not because you're better or richer or stronger. We're all living on this same floating planet out in the vast space. It is rather because your refuge and your strength is in the one who put the planet in its place. Look at it again, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, we will not fear a lesson of peace. 
That's number one. The second thing I want you to notice, number two, is a lesson of patience. I love this psalm. Verse 10, be still. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. You know, one of the common phrases in our current society is one word, chill. It used to be chill out, but that's not chill enough. So now it's just chill. Dude, chill. And it's used a lot today because a lot of people really need to chill. And, you know, in about six, eight weeks, when our highways are full of a lot more people, you're going to be saying, chill, dude. People are so frantic and so encumbered and rushed and really busy about nothing. They need and we need to be still. But not just be still. Just being still is called coma. It says, be still and know that he is God. That's why you be still. And you know, that's one of the very reasons why God gave us the Lord's Day. You know, in the Old Testament, there was the Sabbath. Since the resurrection, there is Sunday, the Lord's Day. And I just want to say to all of us who are here, or if you're watching where you are, that you're making a terrible mistake if you're so busy and so hurried and so rushed that you constantly miss the opportunity on Sunday morning, for example, Sunday afternoon, for example, Sunday night, for example, to be still. Stop and know that He is your God. In other words, sometimes it's just a matter in the midst of all the hustle and the bustle and the problems of life. Sometimes it's just a matter of stopping and meditating and thinking for a while on who God is and what He has done and being still long enough to appreciate that He is God. Holy, long-suffering, omnipotent, omniscient, merciful God. Your refuge, your strength, it says, and therefore your security. And notice, he doesn't say in this text, be still and know that I'm a man. Be still and know that I'm the president. Be still and know that I'm wealthy. He says, be still and know that I am God. You know, I I mentioned those LCUs a moment ago. And I suspected that a couple of you were starting to add some up in your head. Calculating to see if you're about ready to go to the loony farm. And it's true that sometimes it seems as if when it rains, it pours. Those LCUs all come at once. Verse 2 is the description of one of the most frightful, catastrophic natural disasters imaginable. A massive earthquake. Anybody ever been in an earthquake? Raise your hands. Wow. Our family was in one when I was a little boy in Turkey, 1966. My mom was pretty terrified. Turkey, we were bombarded with LCUs. She was. And she looked forward to coming back to the United States. And especially to Florida where we moved when you don't have earthquakes. In 1968, we moved to Coco, Satellite Beach. Hurricane Abby hit it dead on. And I remember mom staring at that huge, from the ceiling to the floor, big, tall, plate glass window and it was bending and bowing like it was plastic you can run from lcus but you can't hide right nationwide and all state you know both have these familiar commercials nationwide says life comes at you fast 
And then it shows some out-of-the-ordinary, crazy, horrendous accident. Allstate warns you, you better protect yourself from mayhem. What mayhem? Mayhem is your cat. Mayhem is your teenage girl. Mayhem is the tailgater tailgating to get to their tailgate. Mayhem is the last hashtag challenge. Apparently, there's four billion mayhems out there to get you. And you better protect yourself against mayhem. Because just like your stomach after that strip mall sushi, mayhem's a little unpredictable. (laughs) Except it is predictable. Mountains will shake. Waters will roar. Troubles will come. Life does come at you fast. And all you have to do is rehash some of the changes just in this year. Think about it. Start in January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September. Look at what's happened just so far this year that are changes, life change units. And what God says to his own is with all of that, just be still. Take time be still and know that he is your God and as your God as your father as your refuge and strength in verse one it is well with your soul you know I was reading about David's one of his mighty men Benaiah and the Bible this is an amazing story and you know it he ventures out one day it's a near blizzard that's bad enough if you've ever been in a near blizzard or a blizzard Nobody needs a snowstorm, but then the Bible says he found himself in a pit. In a pit, in a a near blizzard. But not just any pit. This one, it turns out, has a lion in it. He's in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. That's a tough day. But you know, the circumstances of that terrible day aren't given to us to feel sorry for Benaiah. Read the story. They are given to show us that God protected and delivered him and serve as a reminder that the harder the day, the more difficult the day, the crazier the day, the more exalted is God's strength. But in some ways, only for those who are still. Look at verse 10 again. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Don't you love God's reassurance there at the end of that verse? I will. I'm so worried about the world and our country. I will be exalted in the earth. I will be exalted among the heathen, God says. In other words, as lost and blind and as disheartening the blindness is in this world, don't forget that God still receives glory. Matter of fact, this is a room full of people. Just look around. This is a room full of people who once were blind, but now you see. Aren't you glad? He's exalted in your life. You know, Friday morning, Ben and I went to the Blue Moon Cafe. He wanted some bacon and eggs. And we noticed right behind him, right next to us, there was a blind man, white cane. He was feeling really for everything, trying to get his bearings and as they sat there all alone, I could tell he was, he was reading the room and, and, you know, cocking his head and listening to people's conversations. So since he was right there, literally right behind Ben, 
he and I were face to face. So I said, hey, Ben, do you know the Romans road? And he just looked at me. And I said, well, it's Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23, and I, went, I, read, I quoted the verse. Romans 6.23, Romans 10.9, and Ben's just staring at me like, why is, why is Dad giving me the Romans road? <laughs> but I did that knowing full well that this blind man was listening and could hear clearly every word. And I think he figured it out because when the waitress came and talked to him, I stopped. And when she left, I started up again. So I think he knew what was going on. Had a little smile. <laughs> you know, physical blindness is nothing compared to spiritual blindness. And we were all spiritually blind. But God says, I will be exalted in this earth. I will be exalted among the heathen. And that's a glory. Be still and know that He is God. He's on His throne. And Christians who do not wait on the Lord cannot renew their strength. Take time to be holy. The world rushes on. A lesson of peace, a lesson of patience. Number three, I want you to notice a lesson of presence. Look again at verse one. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He's right there. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. Remember what the Lord of hosts is. It's a title. It's the captain. It's the commander-in-chief of an army. The Lord of hosts is with us so that the God of Jacob is our refuge. And verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, a very present help. Don't you think there's a theme in this chapter? You know, in the Bible, beloved, the promise of God's presence is a very powerful and wonderful reality. People of religion go to places. They travel somewhere. They do things in order to somehow maybe find God's presence. But for the believer, our refuge and our security and our hope, he's not over here or over there or over that, that way, and you've got to run to them. You really don't have to run down to this seminar or this therapist or this support group or that support group and do this newfangled Bible study. You don't have to take a trip to Mecca or Jerusalem or Nashville or Houston or the mountains. The Lord of hosts is with you. Just drop anchor. Just take the anchor of your soul. Put your faith in Him, who the Bible says is right here and right now. You realize this entire chapter is, talks about things that are constantly moving. Look at it again, verse 2. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. That's something that's changing and moving. Verse 3, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake, that's moving again. Verse 6, the heathen rage, the kingdoms were moved. Of course they are. Constantly, Putin invades Ukraine. Everything's moving, but when God is in the midst, here's what it says in verse 5. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her in that right early. In other words, folks, we don't have to drift. You shouldn't be drifting anyway. You don't have to be afloat without your anchor. 
And you certainly don't have to run around because the Lord of hosts is with you. I remember one year in Little League, there were a couple of bullies. Patrick Air Force Base, I played baseball. That year I was playing third base. And these bullies didn't like me. I didn't really like them. So I mouthed off to them, they mouthed off to me. And after the game, they gathered around me at the backstop. And I was pretty terrified because they were gonna beat me up. I knew these guys, they were tough. And right when I was talking to them, right behind them, up walks my dad. He had just gotten back from Vietnam, six foot two, tan, fit. And he could see what was going on and he said, is there a problem, Jimmy? And I looked at those guys and they turned around, they saw him. And I said, I don't know, guys, is there a problem here? Whatever. <laughs> well, what, is this a meeting? What have we got going on? All of my fear turned to confidence, not because I changed, but because Dad was there. The Bible says your Father, your God, His presence. Someone gave me a little book a while back called The Gospel Side of Elvis. And you know, it's a biographical attempt to sort of rehabilitate his testimony and put Elvis in heaven along with J.D. Sumner and so forth. Elvis loved gospel music. He loved Rex Humbard, watched him all the time. But if that biography showed me anything, it showed that you cannot, you cannot go on in this world and just drift around no matter who you are and no matter what you have and ever be secure. Elvis was making $14 a month as a truck driver and just on a fluke, he made a recording, and it caught the ear of a promoter. And within about a year and a half, he was the highest paid entertainer in the world. His nickname was The King. But you know what The King said just one week before he died of a drug overdose in 1977? He famously said, I would give a million dollars for one week of real peace. And folks, when Elvis died, the airlines were clogged with people trying to fly into Memphis. Thousands and thousands of people lined the streets. They just wanted to get a glimpse of his coffin. Five tons of flowers were delivered within the first hour of his death. And today there's an actual organization called the Church of Elvis. And they take annual pilgrimages to Graceland. And you wonder why. Why would people idolize and not just the music but really the lifestyle the life and and the the advice of a man who couldn't buy a moment's peace in his final days you know it's interesting the contrast the holy spirit puts in this psalm between the raging sea and a river streams and still waters look at it and we're almost done verse two he says, the mountains carried in the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Verse 4, there is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. This river, as you know, is described in the book of Revelation. We're actually teaching about it this Wednesday. It's part of heaven part of God's glory and throne. The river is described as a place of calm and cleansing 
and purpose and it's going somewhere. It is a place of perfect boundaries. You can see both sides. It is a place of quiet and peace and consistency. And yes, God says, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God. Not so much this world. Isaiah the prophet looked at this world and he said the wicked are are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. Whose waters cast up mire and dirt. And the next verse says, there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. And sure enough, every time there's a hurricane coming, or news of an active shooter, or a terror attack, or another drought, all the media and the leaders seem to do is cast up more mire and dirt. It is the troubled sea that cannot rest, but you can. In fact, beloved, you have the right to, the privilege, and the duty to shine as lights in this dark world. Whereas people look at your hope and look at your faith and look at the calm in your soul and the peace that passeth all understanding and wonder what it is that you have they don't. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for just a moment. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, would not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea? Be still and know that I am God, I will be exalted among the heathen, I will be exalted in the earth. And one of the ways he's exalted is through the life of a believer who lives and trusts in his faithful God. Father in heaven, bless now the invitation. As always, Lord, we commit it into your hands, and we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that the psalmist was inspired to write these words for our learning and our admonition. And I pray that that learning and that admonition will not be lost on us today. May we be trophies of your grace everywhere we go. Bless these who have asked for prayer, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.